Amen. Amen. Thank you, church, for singing today, for worshiping today. It was a good day to be in church, good day to worship together, and uh, I want to thank the praise team for leading us. Uh, You know, I love how God works because, uh, to be honest with you, I didn't know that we were going to have that skit this morning. Uh, I didn't know that that Mr. Wayne, uh, a.k.a. Bob Ross, was going to say what he did. But, but he said something in that skit that, that really um, is going to ring out loud today in the Scripture. He, he told those kids as they were sitting up here and they were painting, he said, God is creator. And God created you. And he demonstrated his, his creativity. He demonstrated his glory in creation. And I find it awesome. When I read the Word of God, I find it so awesome and so amazing that, that God created, and He created you and me in His image. Nothing else, nothing else was created like you were created, like I was created. We were created in the image of God. And He breathed the breath of life into us. Somebody might ask, well, well, why did he do that? Why did he create us in his image, and, and why did he choose to breathe life into our bodies? I'll tell you why. Because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. And I believe we're going to see that in the Scriptures today. As a matter of fact, I want to ask you a question this morning, and it's a, a question that we're going to come face-to-face with in Mark chapter 8. I want you to go ahead and turn there, Mark chapter 8. We're going to Finish up this chapter, verses 31 through 38. And this is a question that not only makes a difference in in this passage of Scripture this morning, I believe it's a question that makes a difference in our lives right here, right now, and, and forever. And the question is simply this. What are the concerns of God? Think about that for a moment. What are the concerns of God? Now, we need to be careful, right? We need to be careful how we answer this question because we might be tempted to answer this question selfishly. We, we might be, be tempted to answer it the way we want to answer it. Or we can choose to answer it the way God's Word answers it, the way the Bible answers it. And I believe the one true answer can only come from the Word of God. I, I think so many times um, we want God to be what we want Him to be rather than letting God be who He is. You ever been there? We want to form and fashion and mold God to fit our agenda rather than saying, God, please, form me, fashion me and mold me so that I can see and know you and be a part of your agenda. So many times, so many times when we think about the concerns of God, we make it selfish. In his book, Kingdom Disciples, I I love... Dr. Tony Evans' series, he's got a book, uh, Kingdom Man, uh, Kingdom Agenda, Kingdom Disciples. And in his book, Kingdom Disciples, listen to what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, it is the goal of kingdom disciples, that's you and me as Christ followers, to advance God's kingdom agenda and not our own, which is the visible manifestation of God's comprehensive rule over all of creation and over every area of our lives. This agenda is carried out through his four divinely authorized spheres of the individual, the family, the church, and the community. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans says that, that God 
has a kingdom. It's his kingdom. And God has an agenda, and it's his agenda. And you and I don't get to decide what that is. What you and I get to decide to do is if we're going to be a part of it or not. Through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. See, I I believe the biblical answer to our question, what are the concerns of God? I, I believe the biblical answers are very simple. I really do. Number one, God wants you to know Him. And He wants you to know Him intimately. He wants to have a relationship with you. Listen to this. God says to and through Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 24, But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in this I delight, declares the Lord. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him personally and intimately in relationship. Jesus also makes it very clear that the concern of God is that you know Him. Listen to this. He's praying. Jesus, in John chapter 17, verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the concern of God is that you and I know Him personally and intimately. Not only that, I believe the concern of God is that He wants us to worship Him. God wants you to worship Him in humble repentance of sin and saving faith that is found in Jesus Christ. Another one of my pastors that I love to read is as Brother A.W. Tozer. Man, you talk about some godly writings and some godly scriptures. I'm just telling you. He says in his book, The Purpose of Man, he answers the question, what is the purpose of man? He said, God made man in his own image and blew into him the breath of life to live in His presence and to worship Him completely. God then sent the man into the world to increase, multiply, and fill His earth with men and women who would worship Him in the beauty of holiness. That is our supreme purpose. People ask me all the time, Brother Jeff, I just want to know who I am. Brother Jeff, I just want to know what I'm supposed to do. Brother Jeff, I just want to know my purpose. Let me tell you your purpose. Your purpose is to be in intimate relationship with God. He wants you to know Him. Your purpose is to worship God in every area of your life as an individual, in your home, in your church, and in your community. Period. Period. But boy, we can mess that up, can't we? We can put our eyes on this thing and that thing and let our feet take us this place and that place and put our hands on this and that and before long we drown out the voice of God in our lives and not only that, we begin to be concerned with man rather than being concerned with God. We put our focus on the concerns of man rather than the concerns of God. I'm going to tell you something. When it comes down to the concern of God, you, you, are the object of God's concern. That's a very powerful statement. You are the object of God's concern. Pastor Chuck Swindoll says in one of his sermons, when we feel abandoned and broken due to our sinfulness in this world, that is when we are more than ever the objects of God's concern, the objects of God's compassion. What does Peter say? 
Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety, cast all of your worry on him. Why? Somebody tell me. Because he what? He cares for who? You. He cares for who? You. Listen to me. The devil wants you to believe that nobody cares. The devil wants you to believe that nobody cares in your house, in your workplace. Nobody cares in your church. Nobody cares in your community. Let me just tell you something. The devil is a liar. Because the devil's purpose is to separate you from God and to keep you separated from God. The devil's purpose is that you would be concerned about human affairs. That you would put your focus on the concerns of man. The devil don't want you focused on the concerns of God and knowing God intimately because when you know God intimately, you will know your purpose. And your purpose is to know Him and worship Him. And I believe we're going to see that in the Scriptures today. I, I love this. I'm going to tell you something. You are God's special possession. How do I know that? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are God's ambassador. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And I'm going to tell you, you are God's child. That is who you are in Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12. So this is not Brother Jeff making this up. This is the Word of God speaking out loud. Now let's look at what God's Word says in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. I'm going to tell you something. What Jesus is about to tell His disciples and what Jesus is about to tell His followers, this is hard. Listen to me. It's not hard to understand because he's going to speak very plainly. It's hard to accept. See, there's a difference. It's not hard to understand because Jesus speaks plainly. Matter of fact, Mark tells us that. But it's hard to accept. Listen to what Jesus says. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Let me ask you a question. If you had to go sign up for a committee, and that committee was described with these words, suffer, rejected, killed, how many of you would sign up for that committee? Huh? Probably nobody. I told you, this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to accept. And look at verse 32. He spoke how? Plainly about this. In other words, he wasn't hiding anything. He he wasn't, listen, he, he was speaking so clearly, right, that they could easily understand what he was saying. They just had a problem embracing it. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter, here he is, the same guy who just a few verses ago proclaimed that Jesus was who? The Messiah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. It says in verse 32, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked, rebuked Peter. And look at, how, look at what he said. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the what? The concerns of God. You do not have in mind what? Say it out loud. The concerns of God, but rather you have what? Merely human concerns. And therein lies the challenge. Will I be concerned with what concerns God? Or will I be concerned with what concerns me?
What a powerful passage of Scripture. Listen, the Jews understood what Jesus was saying. These disciples, they understood what Jesus was saying. The Jews and the disciples, they were expecting the Messiah. But they were expecting the Messiah who would come with political power and military might the Messiah who would overthrow Rome. Listen, they believed that the Messiah would return Israel to power and prominence in their region. That's what they were looking for. That's what they wanted. They wanted Rome out of here. Is that what Jesus came to do? Based on these words, the way of Jesus included suffering, rejection, Death, and oh yes, resurrection. Listen, Jesus has told them time and time again, and he continues to tell them now about his earthly ministry with them. And he tells them plainly. He's not keeping anything from them. Jesus has already told them how he would be taken from them, and that on that day they will fast. That's Mark chapter 2, verse 20. Let's retrace what Jesus has already told them. He would be taken from them fiercely taken from them, and on that day they would fast. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, what have they already done? They've already rejected Jesus Christ, and what have they already set out to do? What plans, what plot have they made? Somebody tell me. Mark chapter 3. To do what? To kill him. Mark chapter 3, verse 6. They went out and made plans to kill Jesus. And now Jesus tells them, That after he's been laid in a tomb for three days, he will rise again. Amen? One of the key words that we need to focus on in this passage is in verse 31. Look at it. Verse 31. Jesus uses the word must. Do you see that? Must. Must suffer. Must be rejected. Must die. Must rise again. We are reminded in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. Did you hear me? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I'm going to tell you something. The only way you and I can stand before Almighty God and stand in righteousness is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed for us on the cross. That's it. It ain't got nothing to do with what nation you belong to or don't belong to. It ain't got nothing to do with how much money you give to God or the church. It ain't got nothing to do with your mama or your daddy. It's all Jesus. When you stand before God, you will stand before God, and all that will matter is what you did with Jesus. Did you embrace Him as your Lord and Savior, or did you reject Him? It's Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Paul says this in, first, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus must suffer. Jesus must be rejected. He must die. And Jesus will rise again. And he claims that and makes that promise to his disciples and to all the Christ followers right here. Peter. Let's get back to Peter because 
because we see him prominently in this passage of Scripture, Peter embraced Jesus Christ as the Messiah. There's no doubt about that. Peter said, you are the Christ. You are Messiah. But Peter misunderstood the concerns of God. He misunderstood the concerns of God. I love what Dr. Daniel Aiken says. He says this, Peter offers Jesus the crown without the cross. He thinks he has a better plan for Jesus than God does. Peter wants a Jesus who fits his agenda. Mm. Remember, just a few moments earlier, Peter makes a profound an awesome confession of faith, and that is, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are Messiah. But Peter also wanted Rome out. He wanted Rome out of Israel. And so the Bible says he rebuked Jesus. Do you see that? He rebuked Jesus. Do you know what the Greek word for rebuke here is? It's our word for stole. In other words, Peter didn't just grab Jesus to the side and say, hey, let's talk about this. No, Peter grabbed Jesus by the arm and said, hey, don't you say that. <laughs> no. Now, we know Peter is very bold. And so Peter's got an idea that, Jesus, you are this and you're going to do this. Instead of saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, now tell me. Tell me how to do it. Tell me where to go. Tell me how to live. His tone was wrong because his heart was not focused. His selfish agenda was in the way. And Jesus rebuked Peter. Jesus called him out. As a matter of fact, he used a very, a very powerful statement that I pray is never said about me or to me. He said, get behind me, Satan. In other words, he basically said, Peter, the words you are using... Don't sound like God. It sounds like Satan. The words you are using are demonic. That's powerful. He wanted Peter to know who he was, and he wanted Peter to know the concerns of God. And so then he comes to this passage of Scripture, where not only his disciples are hearing him, but the crowd as well. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. See, see Jesus is continuing to shape and fashion and form the hearts of his disciples and, and all of his followers. And what Jesus does here is Jesus teaches his followers about the kingdom of God. He, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Listen, that's what Mark proclaims. He proclaims the coming of the kingdom. And Jesus is the coming of that kingdom. And so Jesus taught his followers about the kingdom. And it included two radical trains of thought and true, two radical ways of living. 
self-denial and sacrificial service. Self-denial and sacrificial service. And I'm going to tell you something. When I read this passage of Scripture, these are not options. These are not options. This is the way. It's like when you go to the restaurant. You can go to the restaurant now. You can go to, you can go to any restaurant and you've got all kinds of choices, don't you? Right? We, we, we can get chicken, fish, steak, hamburger, pizza, all in one spot if we want to. I mean, we, can, we go to the restaurant and it's a buffet. I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to following Jesus, it ain't a buffet. It's His way or it's no way. But what do we do in America? What do we do in this world? We pick and choose how we follow, when we follow, and even why we follow. As long as it works for me. As long as I'm safe. Ooh, don't meddle, right? You don't want me to go there. Jesus says this is the way. Again, if you'll look at verse 34, there's a little word that everybody tends to pass right over. It's that little word, must. Do you see it? Just as Jesus said he must suffer and he must be rejected and he must die because he's going to rise again, now he says you must deny yourself. You must take up the cross and you must follow me if you want to be my disciple. Another great preacher and theologian it was J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer said this, There are in fact two motives that should spur us as Christ followers on. The first is love for God and concern for His glory and not our own. And the second is love for others and the concern for their eternal welfare. Doesn't say anything about me, does it? Doesn't say anything about me. It's it's about my love for God and my concern for His glory. Not mine. Deny myself. It's concern for others and their eternal welfare. Not my own. Jesus, he's teaching his disciples something radical. Again, something very hard to accept. It's not hard to understand. It really is black and white. It really is plain. This is the way. These are the concerns of God. Listen, Jesus, he taught his followers that true life, true life was found in him and in the gospel. True life is not found in this world. Do you know how many people that they're trying to find life in a spouse or in children or in a job? People go, oh, I'll plug into church and I'll just, there, my, my life will be in church. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be disappointed because I'm a member of the church. And there's other members of the church and we are broken people. And I can't fulfill you. And I'm going to tell you something. You can't fulfill me. You can clap all you want. But at the end of the day, I still got to lay my head down and be right with God. We just chase and chase and chase these idols that we have set up that we believe will fill us when there's only one way to be filled, and that is through the Holy Spirit of God, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. True life is not found in the ways of the world. It's not found in the possessions of the world. True life 
actually comes through death. That's counterculture, isn't it? That's that's counterculture. That doesn't sound right. True life comes through death. True life comes through death. Jesus will die on the cross. Why? So that you and I might have life. Full. But most importantly, eternal. Eternal life. Jesus wants us to know him. And he tells his he tells his disciples that if you know me then you know my father. His disciples were like, "Well, we just want to hear God speak." And he says, "If you hear me, you hear the father because I only say what he tells me to say." Man, go read the gospel of John and see what see what Jesus tells them so plainly. So evidently, this is not hard to understand. But man, it is hard to accept, isn't it? Because listen, we like to go in the restaurant and say, I want no pickles, no lettuce, no mayo. And when they don't get it right, we throw a fit, don't we? I want it my way, right away. We are Burger King people. Raising the flag of Christ. Let's preach Jesus, but I want to go here, and I want to go when, and I want to go how. I want to go here, I want to go when, and I want to go how. In other words, I decide the terms. We got a lot of churches filled with a lot of people deciding the terms of how they're going to serve in the kingdom, and God, I believe, is grieved. The Holy Spirit of God is grieved. Because as Christ followers, we've come to a place, yes, in this Western world, yes, in America, where we want God to be who we want Him to be. And we want Jesus to do what we want Him to do. We need repentance, don't we? Desperately. We need to repent. Because the church cannot be defined and described as a group of God's people who are concerned for human ways and worldly ways. The church must be described and defined as seen as God's children, God's ambassadors, God's special possessions who display the concerns of God. So it really comes down to this. Have you surrendered? This is really what it comes down to. And I believe Jesus is, I believe he's patient with his disciples and he's trying to get them there. Have you surrendered to and embraced Jesus as Messiah? Not just said it with your mouth, but bathed in it with your heart. Because everything you say and everything you do flows from your what? Your heart, it's the core of who you are physically, mentally, and spiritually. Have you surrendered to and embraced Jesus as Messiah? I didn't say, have you just said Jesus is the Messiah? I said, have you surrendered to that truth? In other words, have you said, God, I'm guilty. 
See, surrendering to and embracing Jesus as Messiah, it begins with humble repentance of sin. God, you are God and I am not. You are righteous and holy and I am not. I am a sinner. I am a rebel when it comes to you, but God, I don't want to be. And God, I believe what you say in your word. You say that you care for me. You say that you love me and you demonstrate your love for me in this, that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And so I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Messiah. And so in repentance, I turn from sin and to you. And I'm going to tell you in that moment, when you truly surrender and you embrace Jesus Christ as Lord, you are His child. You are a child of God and that is who you are. Jesus says that in the Gospel of John. Go look at it. I bet you thought I'd get you chapter and verse, but I'm going to make you dig. Have you surrendered? Have you embraced Jesus as Messiah? And if you've done that, here's the hard part. Not hard to understand, hard to accept. Have you surrendered to and embraced the concerns of God? Brother Jeff, what does that mean? Have I surrendered to the concerns of God? Have I embraced the concerns of God? Well, let me ask it this way. Are you accepting the concerns of God? Are you trying to force your concerns on God? Are you accepting who God created you to be and living the way God created you to be? Or are you trying to coerce God to make you this and make you that so you can go here and you can go there? Are you more concerned with your way or His way? You know what Jesus did? I'll go ahead and tell you. Jesus, in John chapter 17, He prayed for His disciples. Did you know that? It's one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. Jesus prayed for His disciples. You know what He prayed for His disciples? This is what He prayed. He said, I pray that they will know you and that they will know me. I pray that they will walk according to your purposes. I pray that they will be sanctified. That's what Jesus prayed for his disciples. And guess what? The prayer don't stop. Because if you keep reading John 17, you know what else he did? He prayed for you. Yeah, you. The one sitting in the pew at Start Baptist Church on July 3rd, 2022. Jesus prayed for you. Go look at it. John chapter 17. You know what he prayed? He prayed for those who will believe that they would know God and know him. Intimately and personally. I'm going to tell you. There's no doubt in my mind that God has done everything, everything He had to do so that you could know Him, so that I could know Him. He has not held back. He has not held back. He has given us general revelation. We can look at creation and know, you know what? That didn't happen by accident. God did that. I I was blessed to be able to go spend some time with, with Marty's family last week and out there on the beach watching, listening to that ocean, walking in that sand. It's just, how, how can you look at that and go, oh, this was just an accident? No, it was not. God created that. One of the things I haven't done yet, some of you have, I haven't been to the Grand Canyon yet, but those who have been to the Grand Canyon tell me when you go and stand there, like you just breathe in and it's like awesomeness, right? The word I like to use is God-mazing. 
I want to go there one day and see what God has done. But God also gives us special revelation. It's His voice written down on the pages that we call the Bible. God wants us to know Him personally and intimately in relationship. God wants us to know our purpose, and our purpose is to worship Him and to glorify Him as individuals, as homes, as churches, as communities. And that's my prayer. Listen, I'm not going to be selfish. That's not just my prayer for America. That's my prayer for any nation and every nation. Because one day I'm going to tell you something. All these flags are going to fall. One day, all these nations are going to fall. Oh, yeah. One day, it ain't going to matter whether you were American or Israeli or Pakistani or whatever else. One day, all that's going to matter is, did you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or did you reject Him? Because there's going to be two places, heaven and hell. And it ain't going to matter what color shirt you got on or what flag you're raising. All that's going to matter is what did you do with Jesus? So I'm praying for repentance. Repentance of people. Repentance of nations. Repentance of sin so that we can get back to being who God created us to be for His purposes, for His ways, for His concerns. Amen? Let's pray. Father God.